to open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 26, preaching through the Gospel of Matthew. And here we come into a, a very significant sea change. It's as if the tide has, has changed all of a sudden uh, because um, Jesus' public ministry is coming to an end. In fact, has, has really truly come to an end with his fifth discourse, his fifth public discourse teaching. And uh, he had already denounced the leaders of Israel as quite wrong. Uh, they did not pick up his lead. They did not follow his leadership in reforming the, the quite errant religion of the day. It needed reforming. The Jewish nation neither understood law nor did they understand gospel. They did not understand law because they did not understand gospel. And they did not understand gospel because they did not understand law. But Jesus understood both because he was the one who gave the spirit, who wrote the scriptures, and yet they would not listen to him, the divine son of God, the Christ. So what was left was a denunciation of hypocrisy of religion, an announcement of imminent woe, and of course that would make the, Jesus a bitter, bitter enemy and very fiercely at odd with the established, the established, the established uh, leaders of that nation. Here, however, we see him now wrapping up his teaching ministry uh, to his disciples. He warned them about the, la the end of the age, the last things, the last judgment. And all of a sudden, he, he turn, we turn the page here into chapter 26, and he assumes a quite different role. He is now preparing to show his glory as our priest, the high priest. Before, he showed his glory primarily as a prophet. Every once in a while, the curtain would part in the Gospel of Matthew, would see his glory as the true king of Israel. So prophet and king, but now... We're going to see that the, the major focus and accent is on his priestly office. And that will necessarily involve him with being the sacrifice at his own hands, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. For that purpose, he came. And uh, so we, we will see immediately that there is a change here in Jesus' approach and ministry. Our text will be Matthew 26, the first 13 verses. Hear now the word of our God. When Jesus had finished all these things, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name is Cephas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there should be an uproar among the people. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, now they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, 
Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Thus far reading in God's holy word. All flesh is as grass, its beauty is as a flower of the field. The grass withers and its flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. This is the word that was just read to you. By God's good help, it will be preached. Please be seated. The teaching here is that Jesus is the Passover lamb, not just the lamb of God, but the Passover lamb of God, given for the remission of our sins. That was a gift of God. That's why he came. But wicked men spitefully arranged for this death. And righteous men foresaw his death as necessary and worshipped him. Same event. The event is the death of the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That was decreed from eternity past. That was the covenant that the Son made with the Father from eternity past, that he, he offered himself a sacrifice for his sins, that he would see his offspring. He would be given an inheritance. And that's what we are, believers. We are Christ's, given to the Son by the Father for his suffering, for his ministry, for his faithfulness. But the same event, uh, we can look at it as two ways. We can hasten his death, as this good woman did, by seeing the glory of that sacrifice, the glory of his death and burial, the honor that Jesus uh, should have from all, and be exquisite in our worship of him, to be overwhelmingly his admirer. Or we can beckon his death as the wicked, and uh, not understanding the reason for his death, and never receiving the benefit until they repent, they hasten his death because they didn't like his truth. They didn't like his kingdom. They didn't like his person at all. And they stood in the way. Jesus stood in the way of them having the vineyard. Well, I'll get to that parable again. We'll revisit the parable of the wicked tenants. Again, the teaching this morning. Jesus is the Passover lamb of God. He's given for the remission of our sins. Wicked men spitefully arranged for his death. Righteous men foresaw his death as necessary and worshipped. Three points. The first point is that Jesus came to die. He came to save sinners, and that would involve him being the substitute for sinners the righteous for the, unri for the unrighteous. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He knew that. He gladly entered into the covenant with his father from eternity past, Christ, the second person of the Trinity. And when he took upon, upon himself a, 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 a true body and a reasonable soul, he knew all of his days that this would be his mission. So Jesus came to die as the Lamb of God, and he came Sure, to glorify the Father in His will and to, again, show forth the, 
the glory of God in his own person, but he came on behalf of sinners. He came on behalf of sinners. Of course, all John the Baptist had clearly prophesied this. It was such an important mission that all Israel had to prepare itself. This is the one event you can't miss. Every valley will be exalted, every mountain and hill made plain, make way the make straight the way in the desert. Here comes the king riding in his glory. As John the Baptist and all the Old Testament prophets have prophesied, this is the one, the expected one, the Lamb of God that was taken away the sin of the world. His earthly ministry then would be incomplete. It would be, uh, well, actually, according to how he contracted his mission with his father, it would have been void. He would have failed, which... Of course, being the divine son is, is impossible. Uh, Jesus being the divine son uh, in human flesh could not fail because he was, a, he was upheld by a, a, an, incorruptible, an incorruptible nature and power, his deity. But his earthly mystery would be incomplete without his suffering on the cross. And up to this point, Jesus had demonstrated, as I said, two offices, primarily the prophetic office, and uh, he, was a, he is the prophet that Moses uh, had anticipated in Deuteronomy 19, uh, 18, that uh, from among you, uh, you know, among your own brethren, the Lord will rise up a prophet. And uh, to him you shall give every heed. You shall give your full attention because he is the prophet of prophets. And as I said just now, he actually is the one who has given his spirit as the Christ to all the prophets in the Old Testament and all the prophets of the New Testament. He is the one who speaks through the scriptures in the Holy Spirit. He is the one who spoke through the prophets even in Noah's day, before there was any scripture. So up to this point, he had demonstrating two offices, the office of a prophet and the prophet of a king because he, he showed dominion over, over creation. Waves of sea, of the sea were stilled. Uh, he multiplied matter, fish, and, and, and bread. Uh, he, he could heal all manner uh, of, of diseases. He showed complete dominion as, as a man, uh, that is to say, as, as a king, and to kings belong dominion. But also a king absolute over all kingdoms because he commanded the kingdom of Satan, and that kingdom could not prevail against the Son of God. And so he's aptly shown himself to be both prophet and king. But here we see the true, well, the mystery. The mystery that it was contained uh, in the scriptures, but now is awaiting publication. The mystery that we preach as ministers and as evangelists, as missionaries, we preach Christ crucified. And I'll be making much of this in this next, uh, uh, in this next chapter, a couple chapters, because this is the the pivotal point, the crucial point of all Scripture. And we'll come to understand that more fully, even as Christ teaches us here. But he's now demonstrating the office of priest, and not just any priest. Because you and I, as believers, we, we're, we're a royal priesthood. But Jesus distinguishes himself as the one true and only high priest for the whole nation, all of which other high priests were merely symbolic or, or figurative, allegorical. 
signified. Jesus now demonstrates his office as, as a high priest. And at the same time, the sacrificial lamb, because he offers him his own body. He had power and authority to uh, lay it down, and he had power and authority to raise it up. And so he is both priest who offers the sacrifice and the victim, the lamb. Uh, now, he's not doing this in type. You see, uh, he's already mentioned that the temple and, and it's all his beauty, all the, uh, all the magnificent stonework and ornamentation, truly a wonder of the world. Uh, that is all coming down. And uh, that prophecy, of course, uh, availed in AD 70 when the Romans leveled the place. The temple was, was in its sacrifices with the priests every day, twice daily, and the high priest going in once a year with the, with the blood of the atonement, the blood and sprinkling on the mercy seat. Uh, all of that was symbolic. The blood of bulls, the blood of goats. The Lord God who made heaven and earth is not really interested in that. What he's interested is in what that sign, what that blood symbolizes, and that would have been the precious blood, the blood that has no price, cannot be purchased. It is the blood that's given freely, the, the blood of God that avails unto atoning for sin, reconciling uh, sinful men to God, uh, covering our sin, cleansing us, cleansing. It's a, it's a detergent. The blood of Jesus is a cleansing. And so uh, it's not going to be as in figures that are shadows in the Old Testament, shadows of Christ. The, the light is behind Christ, and Christ is the massive figure in the center of the Bible. And the light is behind him, and he and it's profuse, but it's casting his shadow all over the Old Testament. And that's where people were, and with the help of the Holy Spirit in those days, they were, they were able to discern the work of the coming one Messiah. All right. But now Jesus is here. Jesus, the Redeemer, is, is present. We have the reality, not the types, not the shadows. We have the essence. And so Jesus not does not point to God's justice or the mere possibility of salvation or redemption. Jesus actually accomplishes salvation in his body on the cross. God is truly reconciled in his body. He died on behalf of sinners, and upon being raised from the dead, God the Father vindicating him, You'll recall, and you'll see in a few minutes, excuse me, not minutes, but in a few, in a few weeks, that in dying, he died as, as a blasphemer and a criminal. He was charged with state, state crime and, a, and an ecclesiastical crime or sin, heinous, heinous blasphemy. So he died imputed to be a sinner, but God said, no, 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 he's imputed to be a sinner because I have imputed your sin on him but that imputation will not stick because now I will vindicate him. He is my divine son. He is the Holy One of Israel. And he raised him from the dead. And that was his vindication, showing that God was 
absolutely delighted in His Son. And now, having ascended into the heavens, He's now ascended to the inner sanctum, the holiest place, the very throne of God, which, by the way, we're before. It's our privilege because Jesus going into the most holy place has availed for us, and we enter into the throne room of God at, whole, at worship. This is what we do in a congregational worship or in, even in your prayers. In the Spirit, we enter in because Jesus has entered in for us as our priests. And His blood avails on the mercy seat and covers the screaming demand of the law and all its justice uh, demanding, demanding payment for the debt of sin we owe God. In reality, he did this truly, truly, not in the, in the tabernacle, which is a, a blueprint of what Moses was shown in the heavenlies on Mount Sinai. That was a model. That was a model of the economy of heaven, of the government and the throne of God and how he deals with sinners. But in the reality and the real thing, that's what he really did for us. And now he's, he's, he's about to do it. This was done there uh, on the, uh, near the 14th of Nisan there in the Passover. This, of course, is in fulfillment of all those shadowy types of the sacrificial system. The thing that distinguishes the Old Testament from the New Testament is that it is shadowy. It portends things that are to come in outline form. Not so clearly that the shadow never has the detail of the essence. The essence has all kinds of detail. You can see the face and, and the features of Jesus, the outline of, of his eyebrows. You can see his clothing. You see the, the shadows just get a, a suggestion of the glory that is to come. And so on the very Passover, this type is fulfilled in what the theology calls the antitype, that is to say the corresponding thing to which it points, which is Jesus. Sacrificial systems, blood, in the Old Testament pointed to the antitype, Jesus, who is the reality. On the very day scheduled on the liturgical calendar. See, liturgical candle, calendars, my friends, are shadowy. You understand this? Israel was given a liturgical calendar because Jesus was not yet come, they were playing in the shadows. The light had not quite, not quite been presented in its fullness. But now that the essence have come, we don't play in shadows. We are in Christ. And we proclaim the glories of him who died for us, who teaches us as our prophet, who rules us and even subdues us as our king and who intercedes for us mightily as priests, having that blood of the veiled leading us into the holy place, right to the throne of God. That's why we, all of our rejoicing, all of our boasting is in Christ. Now this, tri uh, this type is fulfilled right there in uh, the Feast of the Unleavened, the week, as they, as they prepare that, that, that Passover meal. Um, and it is, of course, if you're here uh, during the evening services, we preach through uh, the, uh, the book of Exodus, and we're, we're now at Mount Sinai, but we covered in, in chapter 12, the Passover, explaining that. It might be good for you to review that, because uh, you will gain much, much greater insight 
into what Jesus is doing here in carrying us from our captivity of sin, the dominion of death, which is, which is again typified historically in Egypt, and he brought us through the blood of the Lamb, and he led us in good array uh, under his servant Moses into a covenant with him and into the promised land. The Passover, uh, which is a passing, leaving all leaven, leaving all sin behind. Isn't that reminiscent again of John the Baptist? Repent, make way the, the way of the Lord. It's the same thing. If the Lord is going to move us forward, then we've got to drop every weight of sin. And this is why we uh, admonish everyone what law says sin is, that you might know it, that might, you might know that God loves your obedience and detests sin, and be ready to follow Jesus along his own walk. So what he's doing here is he's, pre he's preparing to lead his church, his people, captive. Just as Moses and God in, uh, in Moses led the captivity of Egypt captive, he, he took people for himself. <laughs> so he took the captives captive for himself, and he took them out, and he made them a nation for himself. And so that's what Jesus is doing. He is the Passover, which we celebrate even in the Lord's table. I, I, we can call this the Lord's, the Lord's pain. The Lord himself, the Lord Jesus himself, is every feast of the Old Testament. And everything was typified in him. And so we exalt in the essence and not in shadows. Jesus now is, is preparing to leave the real captivity captive from slavery into liberty, from death into life. And when he does, he gives them the Holy Spirit. And with spirits, he gives them gifts. You know, they, the Hebrew people, they, they absolutely uh, gutted Israel. Uh, they, they gutted Egypt from, of all spoils. They, they despoiled Egypt and Pharaoh. They made off with gold and jewels, and everybody had a lot. They gained the spoils of Jehovah's victory. And that's exactly what Jesus does in giving us his spirit. When he ascended on high, he received the Holy Spirit from the Father, and that gift was poured upon all flesh, all, all believing flesh, and accompanying that gift that, that of the Holy Spirit is every gift, every grace and every gift. And so when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and he gave gifts to men. Read that in Psalm 68 later on uh, in, in the epistles. Note, but note, note the movement. Note the movement as I described it in the context from Matthew, all before Matthew, then especially Matthew 23, heavy denunciations of hypocrisy. Uh, there's a very weighty, it's a very weighty passage of scripture to preach. There's just no way to put a Cheshire cat grin on that passage, okay? Very difficult passage to preach. Wrath, fury, says our confession. But notice how easily Jesus moves from prophesying the glory he will see and everyone will see at his coming, the last day of judgment where the Son of Man is going to be seated on that glorious throne and all of his holy angels, when the Lord summons heaven and earth, you know what? They come. Psalm 50, verses 1 through 6. That's what we started our, our worship with. They'll come. 
every single angel and every single soul that has ever been born in all the history of the world. But notice how he changes so adroitly, so, so beautifully, skillfully from being seated and, and, and being the, the very center of attention to all, of all things, into the next chapter here as the suffering servant who will spend his life, who will become <clears throat> ignoble, mistreated, uh, abused, misrepresented, shamefully, shamefully dealt with in a, in, a, in a crass, hidden judgment by night. He's featuring his suffering. Glory prophetically in the last day. Suffering in the present day for Jesus. This is something we need to meditate on. Jesus did not, he did not, he was not squeamish of his own blood. He was not, he, he did not shirk at bearing the cross. And that was, a, that was not a gold cross, gold campered edges, shiny buff. No, it was not, no, it was not that cross. It was a loathsome, splintery, rough-hewn, hurtful, heavy cross. And that was just the beginning of his woes as he was abused with thorns, as he was scourged with whips. And uh, perhaps the worst is the, the, the emotional blasphemy that he had to sustain, hearing men blaspheme God and blaspheme his own person. My friends, the, the Gospels are central to the theme of the whole Bible. Just as the Passover defined in the Old Testament and in, in Exodus, the Bible, uh, the Bible uh, excuse me, the nation of Israel was defined by that Exodus, by that Passover. They were a distinct people. They were not the world. They were not Egypt. They were not Pharaohs. They were not slaves. They were free people in Christ. They were Jehovah's people, and they received signs and gifts to that end. But the Gospels are central, central to the theme of the, of the whole the Bible. And the cross is the center part of the, of the center part. The Bible is the center of the center. It's the center of the Gospels. And so here in this passage, please take time to understand why Jesus is determined to go to the cross as victim and priest. And it's by God's grace, this is for you to believe. Now, if you do believe, you are blessed because this is the great mystery that has been reserved from the, from the, from the beginning of the age. But if this has been made known to you and with conviction and with joy and with celebration, then my friends, it means that you are, you are christened with the Holy Spirit. You are one of those that has been taken captive by the Lord Jesus. This king has come to you and subdued you as wild as you were. Yeah. And he has given you a new heart. And he's written his law in your heart so that you know when you're pleasing God and when you're not. And a desire to please you. I'm, I'm not saying you're perfect. No, 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 no one. If we say we have no sin, we lie. The truth is not in us. But we can walk in the light, in the Spirit, as He's in the light. And He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
This is the task of the priests. No wonder evangelical Christianity first gets the cross right. Evangelical Christianity has a lot of bad things to say about law today and profit. And they scarcely believe that Jesus rules the nations today with, a riot, with an iron scepter. They just can't imagine that. They have crazy views of how God administers the world today. But one thing they get right, evangelical Christianity gets right. Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And therein every sinner may hope. And if you know that you know that, you have enough assurance, you have enough assurance that you can rejoice all the days of your life. Jesus came to die as the Lamb of God on behalf of sinners. You may rejoice. Number two, unbelief. Uh, it was unbelief and hatred that hastened Jesus' death. Now, the timing of it, of course, is set from eternity past. But uh, I speak poetically, anthropomorphically. You know, unbelief and hatred don't have hands. They can't grip Jesus. Hastening, nothing's going to happen outside of the, the divine plan of God. But this is all metaphorical language. That uh, it was unbelief and hatred that hastened Jesus' death out of rebellion. Here's the king. The king has made his, his prophetic word known. It's, it's evident before all. He's available for questions. He's available for conversation. Did he say something that wasn't clear? Master, uh, what Jesus said was unclear. That's the opportunity for people to raise questions and go to Jesus. Why else would it be incarnate? They had the scriptures. They, they could have much by way of explanation of God's will, but having the incarnate word of God but no, they rebelled. Not only had Israel, in the parable of the, of the wicked tenants, rebelled against every single messenger. That is to say, rule of thumb. Everybody that the Lord God sent to Israel was disparaged, was mocked, was ignored, was persecuted, was flogged was put to death. And so finally he says, well, the parable of the tenants, Matthew 21, I, you know, I'll, I'll send him the prophet, Deuteronomy 18. I'll send him my son, Christ. Surely they'll listen to him. He does, he, he's the best. Chief priests, the scribes, elders of the people, representing the nation. Ah, here's the son. Let's kill him, and then we'll have the vineyard. We can do what we want with this church. Oh, what? Uh, it, was that an original idea? They'd always been doing that. Wicked rebellion nation. Wicked. And so they plotted secretly to seize Jesus at an opportune time. Not openly, of course. No. By the way, do you, do you believe in conspiracy theories? Well, here's one. <laughs> Come on, guys, let's wake up. Of course there's conspiracies. The wicked, the wicked love darkness. Don't you know? They're not going to go in front of CNN or Fox News. They're not going to get a microphone. Hear ye, hear ye. I have a plan to assassinate the Venezuelan president. Really. Darkness, sons of Satan, sons of hell, the abyss, 
not openly. There was a trial held middle of the morning. Not fair. The witnesses were contrived. Nobody, no two people could agree. You'll see all that coming up. But these people, not fearing God, will fear anything. They feared the crowds. They didn't think that God would be displeased. They thought they were in the right. By the way, anything you do, you do it because you think that you're right or that you'll obtain some pleasure. And the pleasure that you obtain by this outweighs the displeasure of the discipline that you'll receive from God. That's if you're a Christian. But even if you're not a Christian, you'll do what you think is right. Because you don't want to undo yourself or have really cause any trouble to yourself. These people were firmly convinced that what they were doing was, was a, a service and an offering to God. They really did. But they were deceived. You can have all the conviction in the world. We were reading, they're reading the same, the same Bible. They're, they're reading the same prophets. But they had so corrupted their religion, they so corrupted their practices, they, they couldn't see it. They couldn't see the incarnate word. And so they thought they were giving God religious worship by annihilating this prophet from, Israel, from uh, Nazareth. My friends, the rebellion against Messiah, rebellion against Messiah was prophesied. We, we, we read it in our scripture reading from Psalm 2. Take heed, you, you, you kings of the earth. Kiss the son, lest his wrath be quickly kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. The, the Psalm 2 opens up with rebellion against the Lord and is anointed by not, not only uh, all nations, all nations, the heads of state. Rebellion against Messiah was prophesied. And in Psalm 2, you are given the warning. And he, you, uh, you are reading the Bible today and you have been given the outcome. All people must take heed. Jesus rules now. He is an autocrat. He is not interested in compromise. He cannot compromise his holy throne. His throne is one of justice and truth. There is, and he wasn't there by your vote. You didn't make him Lord. No. He is the Lord, and he is not only Lord, but he's King of kings, Lord of lords. Jesus rules now. He was ruling then in a hidden form. Today he's ruling in a very, very hidden form in his spirit, in a glorified body, in heaven. But those of you, again, who have the Holy Spirit see the sense of this, and those of you who have the Holy Spirit are convinced of this, and you love him though you have not seen him, and you obey him even though you know that you are saved and he's not going to damn you because you're less than perfect. You obey him because his way is good. And his way is, is the way that pleases the Holy Spirit. And you don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit in anything. And that, my friend, makes for a blessed life and a joyful and happy existence. Jesus rules now. That's because you've kissed the son. Rather, I should say, perhaps he's kissed you. Plotting and scheming against Jesus. Plotting and scheming against his kingdom. Oh, it will not avail. There's no hindering. 
there, there's, there's no hindering this kingdom. This kingdom is rolling on. The gates of hell will not prevail. Yeah, Samson, who was infinitesimally less strong than Jehovah, was able to pick up the city gates and run, I don't know how many miles with it, you know. He was known as a strong man. He could bust up any city's defenses against whatever he wanted to do because it was, he was the Lord's anointed judge. How much more so the Lord Jesus, who, ha, who has the full anointing and has been exalted to the highest, the highest office in the cosmos. This kingdom will not fail. Plotting, scheming against Jesus and his kingdom will not hinder it. It will advance it. It will advance it gloriously by those who, out of hatred and out of unbelief, hasten the demise of the kingdom by attacking Jesus physically. In that day, out of rebellion, will only serve to advance it and destroy themselves. Now, my friends, the reason that these wicked people, the, 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 the reason they wanted Jesus out of the way is that they recognized he, he had something that they hated. They hate God. Now, no human can strangle God to kill him. Philosophers have been spilling a lot of ink to try to do, to do just that. Here we are worshiping God. To no avail, the church marches on. You can't kill God, but you can kill his messengers. You can torment his messengers. And you can torment Jesus, the great prophet. You can do him physically harm. And you can do him, uh, well, even his intended purpose. You want to see his blood, but for the wrong reason, for the wrong reason. And today, you still have the opportunity not to kill God. You'll never kill God, but you can torment his messengers. Good Bible teachers, you can torment your, torment your, your Christian father and mother. You can misunderstand and slander your, your elder. You can, you can get out of the way and just try to destroy the preaching of, of your minister. You do all that. And you will hasten the kingdom by it. Because this kingdom has no stops. Unbelief and hatred hastened Jesus' death, but that death availed the salvation of the world. But we see here something extraordinary, and it's, I think it's the main point here of our teaching. Just as unbelief and hatred hastened his death out of rebellion, faith and love anticipates Jesus' death and worshiped him for his wisdom, for his goodness, for his kindness, for his love, for his great, great, costly sacrifice. The woman here mentioned, it doesn't, her name is not even here. She understood. She, she had discernment, which is a gift of the Holy Spirit, and understanding the meaning of Jesus' death. She understood how it, 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 was, it, was, it was a sure thing. Jesus had spoken of it before. It's happening. There's nothing that can stop what Jesus prophesies. It's essential as I've just been preaching, that lamb had to die for the sins, of the remission of sins. It was an essential ministry, not optional. It was efficacious, just as God does nothing in vain, just as his word goes out, and it will not, it will not fail in the purpose for which it was sent. Now, look, I'm going to tell you something. A lot of people think, well, this preaching is not going anywhere. People are scattering. People are leaving the church. We've got to try something new. That's plan A. 
That's what Matthew is all about. The Word of God winnowing. His winnowing fork is with him. And he will remove all chaff. And who will abide by the day of his visit? For he is like a refining fire. And if we are not purged today in the church, we face a place where there's no purgation, just endless, endless torment. We must be about repenting, purifying, and improving. This would be done. His death would not be in vain. God wills. Jesus, as prophesied from Isaiah 53, the servant of God will see his offspring, guaranteed. And this is an event that will glorify Father, for he is holy and needs to be reconciled. He'll glorify the Son as that great prophet, priest, and king who accomplishes the redemption. It'll glorify the Holy Spirit who uh, teaches, reveals the glory of Jesus, not in shadows anymore, but in essence, who has us resting in all of his righteousness, resting in his righteousness and his wisdom, resting in all of his priestly function, not playing around with church calendars anymore. No, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. The Holy Spirit is the one that visits you and receives from Christ all that he is and has for you and applies it sovereignly because he himself is God. And so Father, Son, and Holy Spirit accomplish redemption. Now this woman knew that this, this was a magnanimous event and she gave her all in this anointing. This is what people do when they see the glory, the goodness of all that Christ has done, the, the crucial, crucial ministry, undaunted, went because he loved you and because he would do the Father's will always. This woman honored Jesus, preparing Jesus for his death and burial. That's what Jesus says here. This woman had insight. No Pharaoh, no king of Egypt had such love poured on him in preparing for their death. This is a pouring of a very, very expensive anointing of myrrh. It was a very uh, fragrant, aromatic, uh, costly anointing. And how fitting that the anointed one, Christ, that's his name, that's what it means, should be anointed. It's profusely. How fitting the Christ. This is an honorable deed. It's an act, not a formal worship, because it's not an element of worship, but of heart worship. This is, an, this is our reasonable service that we perform from God when we do hard things, when we do honorable things, when we do choice things out of discernment, when they, we do things sacrificially, when we do things that are exquisite, and nobody understands us. What kind of act is this? It's a waste. Not so, says Jesus. This is an act of worship, not waste. Jesus' disciples did not yet understand. And so it happens in the church. Leaders sometimes understand far less 
than some hidden member in Christ's spiritual body. These disciples could not yet under, uh, they could not yet appreciate what this woman had done. But of course, now later on, Matt, Matthew will come to appreciate it. He wrote this. He was there. He, he saw this. He wrote this gospel. And so he, he, the Holy Spirit will in time reveal that to him, as the Holy Spirit will reveal all things in time to God's own people. The disciples became indignant. They became critical of the act. They condemned the act. They wanted, they wanted to shame uh, this, this poor woman. Wasteful and even, uh, of course, bringing up the, to the topic of the poor, uh, it's more than wasteful. This is immoral. It's, it's, it's showing, you know what it is, it's showing improper dominion and judgment, uh, which is a hellish thing to do in the kingdom of God. But Jesus defended the woman's ta task. Jesus corrected his disciples. This was a hasty judgment. Be slow to speak. Be quick to hear. Slow to speak. Slow to make a pronouncement of judgment. You haven't got all the facts. If you had all the facts, you might be an elder in the church, but yours is not the position to know every single thing that happens in this church. Be slow to speak. Be quick to hear. Bite your tongue. Do not judge, lest you receive the rebuke that Jesus rebuked his disciples. Jesus judged opposite, completely opposite. They were so wrong. And Jesus celebrated her insight into his coming passion and burial. And this, my friend, is the first component of what is required in the Christian, in the Christian uh, walk. The first component that's, that's required is faith. To see something that others, the spiritual significance, the glory that others do not see because they are looking on with natural eyes. The spiritual man judges all things he himself is not, is not judged because he sees the spiritual reality, not the shadows, the spiritual reality. Celebrated her insight into his coming passion and burial. She had faith, the first component. She also had the second component of a complete Christian religion because Jesus commended her for her deed, her gift, that is her love. If you want to sum up our duty, expressing what we are as Christians, the whole corpus of religion in two words, faith and love, what we are to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. Faith and love, she had both, beautifully displayed. Now, Jesus honored this woman before his disciples and before all the church. Before all the New Testament church, because it's been inscripturated. Jesus then prophesied that her faith and love would always be remembered. This is an example. By a woman, not, not one of her, her, Jesus' better school disciples, by a woman, unnamed, lest probably she'd be torn in two, as an object to be collected in the churches. Everybody wants a celebrity Christian. Oh, yeah, this is the one that was probably protected that woman all of her life from being torn into shreds and being made a celebrity. Prophesied that her faith and love would always be remembered. And it's true. We remember her. Through the preaching of the gospel, he said, Jesus emphasizes the main communication, the spreading of the word in all places until the very end. He's still talking eschatology after all. 
Jesus' prophecy is substantiated right here in your hearing today. When Jesus prophesies, it always comes true. What, what, what would be the likelihood of this event held in private to be something that would be recognized in all ages of the church in all places? Think about that, would you? You who guys, you know, probability, statistics, work it out. Work it out. What are the odds? Jesus just doesn't fail because Jesus is divine. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ expressed in love, especially love to him, that is Christianity. And in, exp in expressing that love to all whom he loves, other Christians. That, that includes a lot, of, but that's another sermon. This woman got it right. And so you have to ask yourself, do I have it right? Am I all faith and no love? Am I all love and no faith? Do I do it in the name of Christ? Do I do it as an act of, of worship and to glorify Him? Examine yourselves to see if you're in the Lord. Worship that pleases God. Worship that truly pleases God. And I'm not talking about, again, corporate worship. No, 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 no. This was not corporate worship this woman did. This was her private reasonable service unto the Lord Jesus. But worship of this sort that pleases God is often costly, often misunderstood, even blasphemed, criticized, often failing practical considerations or utility. But God weighs the heart, and he rewards the heart. So go ahead and worship Jesus profusely. Do risky things that people will not understand. Even people in your own congregation, they just don't, they won't get it. But God gets it. And that's all you care about. The true worship always honors Jesus. The pivotal point is his sacrifice on behalf of sinners. No worship to God without Jesus as high priest. It is absolutely crucial. Concluding statement here that Jesus is the Passover lamb. He's given for the remission of, of our sins. Wicked men spitefully arranged for his death, but the righteous men foresaw his death as necessary and worshipped him. Take comfort, take encouragement. You see how Jesus bountifully uh, rewards his own. He loves you and he wants to rejoice over you in love. He, you, you have to stop considering yourself as your own person. You're his. He redeemed you. And he's taken you captive as his trophy. And as his trophy, he's going to buff you up and shine you up and put you on display. And you're going to love it because it's glorifying to him. And it suits your true humanity just right. The Lord will take note of all that you do, even if it's in prayer in your closet, even if it's reading scripture by yourself. Worship him and his truth. Do you believe the Old Testament prophets? Do you see the glory of this woman's worship and putting the two things together, the shadows and then the essence? Are you, do you see that it's very important if we're to truly glorify Christ that we leave shadows and go to the essence? 
and the glory of this woman. Do you see how the goodness of, of what she's done? We need to pray for this kind of discernment. We don't have this discernment by nature. We have it in the Holy Spirit. And we would have more of it if we would just ask for it. So in your prayers, ask the Lord for discernment and to know all of what Christ is, all of what his work is, and bless him and worship him in that way. This is absolutely crucial in your salvation. Christ's disciples were not always the most discerning. And that's because God has made the foolish wisdom, God has made the foolish uh, he's exposed the foolish ways of the world. He's made the wisdom of the wise of this age foolish, and he's turned it upside down on its head. So be careful what paradigms you bring into your church, into your Sunday school. Be careful about the paradigms that you bring into your classroom. I'll be careful. God can help us into the pulpit. Are we being worldly? Are we taking up worldly weapons, worldly carnal knowledge, or are we doing things in a very uniquely Christian way? We need to be humble. We need to be listening. We need to be spending much time before the Lord, being quiet before the Lord, before judging, and before criticizing, lest you suffer correction and discipline from the Lord. You don't want to be those who put stumbling blocks in the highway of holiness. You, no, you want to be those that remove stumbling blocks. Now, my friends, I've said the gospel many times, but it is this, that Jesus died in the place of sinners as being imputed or reckoned uh, unrighteous. He died the death of the ungodly, that the ungodly, the sinner, you and I, might be spared, might be forgiven, that our sins might be atoned, our great, great debt that we owe uh, of God by all of our disobedience. Not only that, but we'll be cleansed by his blood. And we'll be sanctified more and more by the spirit that he gives us. Giving us great discernment. Improving our walk with God. Overcoming the world. The flesh. And Satan. Which is, of course, his promise at baptism. And we will see the glory of the Lord. And we will rejoice in God our Savior. Let's pray. Now, Lord... May these words sink deeply into our ears. And may we, Lord, see the fruit of it in every way as your spirit accompanies your word. Let us think of Christ often. And let us, Lord, by your grace, be luxurious, not merely in our public worship, which, of course, Lord, we're about to take an offering. But not only then, but in our private worship, May our hearts abundantly worship and express it in deed and in truth. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go ahead and have an offering.